Hi, it's Stephanie from from The Lighthouse. Um, I'm just recording a little intro to this episode because we had some sound snafus in this episode, which were entirely outside of our control and we weren't aware of until after we'd recorded the episode. Um, Jimmy's done his absolute best at improving the sound quality of the recording and he's done an amazing job, but it still might be lower um, quality recording than you're used to. We apologize sincerely for this error. We This was our first recording in a new studio, so that's why there was a little bit of a problem. So please tough it out. It's still a great conversation and we're sorry again for the low quality. Um, we have sorted out the problem, so it'll sound much better going forward. Thanks, guys. Enjoy the episode. Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of From the Lighthouse. I'm Stephanie and I'm here with my dear friend and colleague, Dr. Lee O'Brien. Hi Lee. Hello Stephanie, how are you? I'm very well and we are here today to talk about books as we always as do. As we always do. Um, mm-hmm. And we're extending one of the conversations that we've been having offline mm-hmm. onto, um, we're recording it essentially, um, and that's our conversation, our ongoing conversation about Truman Capote's excellent short story, Hand Carved yeah. Coffins, yeah. which is... Um, in, included in the collection Music for Chameleons. So, Lee, what do you love about Truman Capote's Handcarved Coffins? What do I love about it? Besides the title. Well, uh, <laughs> yes, apart from the, yeah, it's a wonderful title. Um, I came to it, um, I, I, I was trying to remember how I came, I think a lot of people come to Capote through Breakfast at Tiffany's, mm-hmm. which is so famous for a whole lot of reasons, but I think he... Everyone knows he wrote it, but it, it, the film is so famous, and Audrey Hepburn and The mm-hmm. Little Black Dress is so famous. So I think his credentials as a writer tend to be a little bit yeah. um, dis- I think people know of him rather than read him. Yes, yeah. and then in Cold Blood, which mm. is one of the most famous um, non-fiction works uh, about a, a you know, true American crime, and that that's supposedly um, the tradition that hand-carved coffins is in, but um, I I came to I, I love he has a wonderful story called the Grass Harp, mm. which is uh, it's first person narration. It, it's um, it's about a young boy who um, his parents die and he, he goes to live with his two rather strange female relatives and it's a glorious story, and it's he write at his best he writes very lyrically and he's a writer that can. Sort of come up with these images that you, you just stop reading. They're so extraordinary and they're very poetic. And I think it must have been reading about the grass harp. That's right, because there's a there's a Capote reader and hand carved coffins is in it. So I think that I don't I when I came to it I don't think I'd ever heard of it before. Mm. No, I hadn't heard of it except for you. And I was yeah. just I was bowled over by it. I I have never forgotten it. And it must be now. I it could even be twenty years ago that mm. I first read it a long long time and it was the nature of the crimes there's this haunting uh spoiler warning by the way spoiler warning we're going to spoil these stories because i'm going to talk about the murders because you find out about the first murder which is astonishing i mean it grabs you straight away i mean the the murder weapon is 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 nine um amphetamine injected rattlesnakes who have been put in a car on a hot summer's day, and this couple get in, open the door, get into the car, and the rattlesnakes go mad and bite them to death. So it, you'd have to say <laughs> that as murders go, 
it, it's a fairly sort of gothically extreme and yes, yes, and it's an extravagant mode of killing. There's a, there's a few problems with the actual setup of it. You know, whether you can believe that people can get in a car without actually noticing that it's full of rattlesnakes. <laughs> I've been trained to look in the back seat of the car <laughs> ever since. You would, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah, have, well, yes. Now, now that you're, I think I should start doing it. But anyway, mm. and then there's, um, I think the second murder is the burning. The people who are trapped and burnt. Then I think the third one is the beheading with the wire. Oh, that gets me. Cross. I have this mortal fear of beheading and that scene where the wire is set up so you don't know it's there, but you're just you're going just, down the street. And, oh, oh. He's got his little Jeep, which is his car without, and it doesn't without have a, a top on it. Yeah. And, and he just is driving it through the forest, <laughs> as you do. And he's beheaded. Yes, I've mm. forgotten you because you you couldn't watch Game of Thrones mm. for a long while. I don't know if you ever did, but anyway, it's the beheading. Yes, sorry. Well, I I, I forgot about you and beheading. And then it is a very strange. And the last phobia. one is the um, yes, Stephanie. I know. I must have watched a different movie when I was a kid. I don't know what it's about. The last yeah. one is the drowning. The most moving one is the drowning. Mm. And I've been thinking about it a lot. Just, just thinking about the actual plotting of it, and the the, the subtitle is "Handcuffed Coffins: A Non-Fiction Account of an American Crime," and the more I read it, the more it seems to me to be um, to be very imaginative. It, it's an imaginative tale, and it's biblical. I mean, the, the, the kinds of killings. There's this sense of fate and vengeance moving through the story, so it's a bit hard to accept it. At, at at face value, but it does it does have that quality of drawing you into a world that you are persuaded is real. I mean, the greatest writers can do this. You, mm. you, you once you trust them, you believe anything, and you mm. go. It's it's the, that great pleasure of reading. You just go into this other universe, and I think he does that so well. You can't you can't stop and ask too many questions about it, but it has. It's such a powerful plot. The narrator's a fascinating Capote himself. It's it, it, he's a fascinating character. The detective, it's Jake Jake Pepper, isn't it? Mm. And there's the romance element of the of, yeah. of the story too. So I just read it and I thought, this is just, I've I've always wanted to teach it. I because it fits with Gothic really mm. well. It's got strong Gothic elements. It's not Gothic, pure Gothic, but it's got a lot of Gothic elements to it. And there is that kind of thing that a lot of gothic stories do the 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 villain is so clever there's almost as if he has a kind of supernatural power to him so all those things just blended into to make it unforgettable for me so mm. but you what about you how did you well i into it? it through you i hadn't heard of it i'd read in cold blood um and loved in cold blood i read that years and years ago um and i thought that that was i mean it, it's the kind of paragon of true crime it is he inaugurates yeah and he says it inaugurates what he calls a non-fiction novel which it really is because it's using the the techniques of the novel to get at a a true story however that is a true story and um what i'm documented and it's documented (laughs) as as such although he does some unethical things in writing that like he was really kind of pushing for the death penalty so that he had a a good oh, ending. Yeah. So he was. Yeah. On the spot. Yeah. Well, he was. Oh, he wanted that. 
to to be yeah, the, the to conclusion. Be conclusion. I think I'd he was that. yeah, I think he got more caught up in his genius. Really? I think he had a really developed sense of his Kill own genius. Kill me a good story. Kill these people. Yeah. Ooh, That'll yes. be a good kind of ending, ending. if mm. the murderer gets murdered. Yeah. It gets executed. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he is a kind of, he was a little bit dodgy in the way he handled that. But um, what I became really interested in, because I'm a bit of a true crime buff, um, is the kind of line between fiction and reality in this in this story. So I did a bit of digging and I found um, an article that I was just reading um, the other day about that line between truth and fiction in the story. And I found that he did have a kind of germ of a story that was based in reality, which was about a feud that took place in a small town in Kansas. Um, so he was talking to this detective in Kansas about his cases and he took this kind of that germ of a story about a feud and he magnified it and blew it up. And invented all of these murders, the likes of which didn't really happen. And you can imagine that, like, mm. what, if you were in, in, engaged in a feud with your neighbours, these are ridiculously over the top murders. We, we hope so, yeah. don't we? Yes. Yeah, I yes. mean, the like, rattlesnake the, option. Yeah, I mean, like when you think about like how real murders happen. Yes, it's not yes. really like this. They mm. are kind of literary they, murders. They are. They're, yeah, they're, they're very biblical, as you say. Plotted, aren't they? Mm. And each one we, we forgot to tell people, hence that we haven't explained the, the, the title, handcuffed yeah. coffins. Each person who is going to die receives in the mail a parcel and it's got this beautifully carved, tiny little coffin made out of balsa wood, I think it is, intricately carved. And when the people open the coffin, there's a photograph of them that has been taken quite recently of them that they had no idea they were being photographed and it's a completely candid shot of them. So they get this warning through the post that's, that, that's some, it's a death warning, but it's also a warning that they are being very carefully watched. So it's scary mm. stuff. So yeah, there is a sense of menace. That, yes, very much so. Mm. So the murderer sets it up, A, that the people are put on their guard and their lives sort of become a bit of a nightmare anyway, unless they can forget that they've received a yeah. handcuffed coffin in the post. And, and, and so there's this, and as it unfolds, it's, it's a real, the, the motive is quite intricate. And it's all, again, another gothic element. It's, it's related to water rights because we find mm. out as, as the story proceeds that he's killing off people who all, their properties all have a boundary on the river. Mm. And he wants, it's, it's water rights, he, he wants to take water out or put water in. I forget what the ins and outs of it are, but it is that feud um, about property rights, about water rights. Um, and that, and and you're right, it's sort of, it's it, it's a, a it, I guess, it, again, it's another gothic thing. It's a perfectly ordinary situation. There's a river, people are fighting over it. But, but as you say, then he sets off this wonderfully extravagant mm. plotting around it and brings in these really lurid forms of death and punishment. And but if you think about it, the Gothic is often about property and property rights. Right I mean, from going the from Otranto, yeah, you know, right which is... from the beginning. Yeah, the castle of Otranto, as we've talked about yeah. on the podcast before, yeah. is just about, like, who is the rightful owner who of this house? It? Who gets yeah. to keep it? Who get, and and this right. is this is very similar. It's about yes. a property dispute yes. that becomes you know ridiculously over the top because yeah. property is always allied with power. Yeah, that's Those right. Those with the property have the power. Have the power so exactly. 
there that yes, it's it's. I, I guess we should have realized that there was something not quite non-fiction about it because yeah, of the literary devices. Yeah. But you, you did. You were saying you did some research, and and there was there was there a, was a feud that, yeah. that, that took place in this little town in Kansas. But it was um, a different kind of feud. It was wasn't about water. It was about land. Right. Um, although I suppose this is about land too, in a way. Yeah. Um, and it it didn't become as lurid as this. Right. Um, I think were there, were, there murders? There were, were some murders, but not in a way that this no plays out. No. Um, so it seems like he took like the germ of a real situation right. and magnified it. And apparently right. the detective that he was um, chatting to about the case was rather annoyed with him and felt very betrayed. Oh. Um, because he had turned, you know, what... And I imagine... I can see why, because I imagine to this town this was a real kind of thing, a real problem, a real kind yeah. of, um, you know, something they had to negotiate and work out. It was a real kind of um, disruption to their lives and he turned it into something much more over the top and much more kind of um, literary and gothic. And he's obviously working through themes that kind of had their germ in that um, yeah. in that dispute. But it is um, interesting the way that he presents it as a non-fiction account and, and he... Um, lies really about what um what actually happened when he went down because he presents himself as he's the narrator yes, so he, yes. And, you know he he lies about what happens when he goes down to this small town and he'd be there's a kind of rivalry isn't there between jake pepper the detective and the narrator as 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 the 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 centre of, of the story yeah who whose view of it is going to prevail and and the narrator gets involved in the story in a really fascinating way. But then he backs out of the story yes, in a way. Yes, and he goes to Europe or somewhere, doesn't he? Yeah, he I also wanted to talk to you about the narrator yeah, because yeah. I found myself getting really annoyed with Capote as the story went on because I could see why he becomes so involved in the story. Yeah. But then he goes to Europe and kind of just gets drunk and forgets about them. Yes, he forgets all... How could you forget nine rattlesnakes and, and, yeah, and, and then beheadings he, in the forest cave? And, and this poor detective, <laughs> I mean, you know, it's obviously kind of quasi-fictional but this poor detective is contacting him and saying you know this is happening this is happening i've got to get in touch with you yeah. um and he just ignores them and just sort of and the lovely woman in the yeah. story who, who jake falls in, in love, love with yeah. she has received her coffin so yeah. they know what's coming that, yeah. that, that something is going to happen to her and he just so wanders along he just wanders off yeah um, and then, then, but then, when he comes back and he thinks he um, he recognizes the murderer, mm. uh, the, um, the 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 baptism, the, um, the evangelical holy role. Yeah, he, it, it sort of becomes linked in with his own dreams and fantasies about his own past. And the ending is um, when. The, because we do get this wonderful kind of meeting of the narrator. You don't often get this, do you? The no. narrator and the, and, the, and the murderer. And that is such a brilliant scene. It, it's extraordinary, mm. isn't it? And I love the way that you you don't... I don't... I, I, you should tell me what you think about this, but I... The one murder, all the other murders are quite clearly murders and terribly cruel murders. Mm. Um, but the last murder, the, the murder of Jake's um, lover, who also owns property so, so uh, by the river, so she's in the gun. You never, as a reader, I don't think you ever really know if it was just an accident 
because she yeah. goes with her sister and they're having a, a, a picnic by the river and she goes to sit on a waterfall and just enjoy the river and she disappears and they find her and she's been caught. It's, it, it's quite mesmerising, the descriptions of it. She's been caught by the hair, by the roots of a tree, under the water and, and so she's drowned. And so it, it, it does, the way it's described, it's something that could actually have really happened as a terrible, terrible accident. Mm. And the only reason we suspect it's murder is because there has been the coffin mm. delivered to her. But you never really know. And the murderer always claims, well, he claims that he has nothing to do with any of them. Mm. But he just says to Capote that it's, um, it was an act of God. That she's dead by the hand of God, and you think, right? Okay. Well, yeah, that's a crazy thing to say yeah. anyway. But was it an accident? She she just fell and and she drowned. And I think maybe that's what's made me remember and keep the novel somewhere kicking around in the back of my mind for all those years. It's one of those stories that don't really end. There is yeah. no satisfying closure. The the murderer is not caught. No. You don't know if the most moving the murder victim that you know most, you don't know actually if she was murdered or, yeah. or if it was a terrible accident. So you come to this kind of haunting conclusion. And there's also the fact that clearly he murdered the other people, so a terrible injustice has been yeah. uh, committed. And he, he's a very powerful man. He sets all the townspeople. Classic American cinema stuff. Yeah, you can he, see how this would play out on the screen. Oh, you can. He yeah. sets the townspeople against the, the, the good, fine detective figure and the narrator gets sort of caught up in all of that. And there's it, it's um, and that whole, that whole idea of feud over water, there's that amazing um, American film, A Big Country, mm. uh, with Gregory Peck, and, and, and there's a big muddy, and uh, just the uh, really over-the-top um, feuding about water rights. And so you can see that he draws all this power of popular American plotting mm. and views of themselves and the... My kind of renegade aspect of American life. Yeah. yeah. The wild frontier and people feuding and fighting because these these things matter. It's not just a river, it's a livelihood and And that sense of like rough frontier justice. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Mm. Yes. And, and and terrible things that happen for which there is no redress. Mm. That is haunting, I think, about the story, the thought that and it's not just a it's, as you say, it's not just a crime that you get upset with your neighbour and you hit them across the yeah, head. Like, or something. Yeah, like a fight goes yeah, too far or right. something. Yes, yeah. it's not something like that. It is willful, premeditated, very cruel killing. That had, that had clearly been planned yes. to the nth degree. Yes, yeah. yes, to get a benefit, to get something through greed, not mm. even through he doesn't like them because they've, they've done something terrible to him or his wife or his children or whatever. It's just greed. He wants yeah. a river. He wants the water rights. Yeah, and as you were talking, I was thinking about um, that idea of like the really charismatic, um, beguiling murderer yes. because he is so, yeah. you know, that scene where Capote and, and the murderer meet yes. and he is so interesting. Yes. Um, and and beguiling really, um, I think is really has really gone on to shape a lot of crime fiction. Um, you know that idea that there's there's something kind of um, clever and charismatic and um, 
the idea that the the murderer is the cleverest person in the room and he's going to outwit you all um, with his kind of um, ability to plan and execute the, his plans to and the, just the sheer raw power of yeah. this particular individual. Yeah, see, that's very gothic, isn't it? I it mean, is. the whole idea of the antihero. Yeah, and and you 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 end up it it, it becomes so morally challenging because you end up actually understanding the motives you or with this one you don't understand but you, you you develop some kind of sympathy or empathy i don't know what the word is identification is maybe the word with this mm. this overpoweringly strange and, and 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 charismatic murderer this terrible person it's that it's that moral dilemma isn't it that yeah. carries it's the hannibal lecter thing well, Isn't yeah, it? no, it's it, it everywhere is. in modern culture. Well, I've been watching Mindhunter, and um, which is about it's it's based on a again another true crime book. Um, it's about the FBI profilers who kind of initiated the art of criminal um, oh, profiling. Right. So they were the people who kind of thought about you know what are we going to do with this problem of like serial killers who seem to have no motive but like an internal kind of psychological damage mm, yeah. um, that they are manifesting through their murders um you know so murders that aren't like revenge killings or you know gang warfare or something like that so a lot of the the show is about these two um fbi agents going and interviewing serial killers and it's based on real life so they did do this in real life but the serial killers are so fascinating isn't that awful um it's awful but you'd want them to be banal and just just yeah uninteresting wouldn't you well some of them are more brutal and banal but especially the first one that they go see who is a real life um serial killer called ed kemper who killed Mm. 10 women um in the most horrific of ways um Mm. in america and he's so at the on one level he's awful obviously awful and misogynistic and what he's saying is terrible but on the other level he's genial he's intelligent he's genuinely kind of helpful to them and of course that's why they're so successful as killers because yeah. i presume if you're going to be a predatory killer you can't go around <laughs> you know with the skull and crossbow yeah yeah announcing i'm a murderer with, yeah. yeah with your bloody knife in your hand yeah. so you have to be able to mimic ordinary behavior but you also have to be able to mimic fascinating behavior you have to be attractive you have to be mm. to a certain degree flirtatious yeah well this guy actually set off yeah the whole scenario which allows you to get the women alone and, and kill yeah them. well this guy yeah. actually turned himself in because he said i wasn't going to be caught and oh, he was done right and right. you know he killed his mother in oh, pretty horrific circumstances yeah, and he did all sorts yeah. of disgusting things the yeah. likes of which i no don't was, tell me God, yeah it's just awful mm-hmm. um but mm-hmm. it kind of reminded me of that and i think that he to a truman capote to a large extent has kind of shaped the way we view true crime it probably it probably has because i i i haven't if i've read um in cold blood it's so long ago i can't actually remember it but i don't remember they were sort of haphazard killers though that was that kind of killing spree yeah two that was, young guys yeah. they break into this yes and it yeah. just sort of it it didn't it doesn't have that luridly imaginative quality of the serial killer yeah. because when you think about it the serial killer is a plotter yeah which is exactly what the killer in this yeah, story is yeah, yeah that's right he and he has the serial killer to a certain degree has a literary imagination he has to set up scenarios 
he has to create a character that will, will allow him to kill. He has to do all kinds. Then he has to cover up the crime. So he's he's kind of like this this archetypal sort of plotting device, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, he is really because that's what that's what he's doing in. Hang- I mean, obviously we know the Hancock Coffins is, is quasi fictional, but you know what he is doing is thinking about his story as fiction. You yes. know, like I'm going to give them the coffin and then they'll stew about it for X amount of time, yes. and then I'm going to you know do this ridiculously over the top kind of. Murder, yeah, yeah. and then this is how I'm going to cover it up, and this is how I'm going to go about it the next time. It's a but narrative. It's not, yeah, he's setting up a narrative, and he's mm. not. It's not like he kills everybody the same way, so it's not like no. they can kind of no. take precautions. That's right. Yeah. He has to come up with new ideas, doesn't he? Like the yeah. rattlesnakes, everyone was going to look in the magazine. Yeah, he can't do yeah, the rattlesnakes yeah, again. So yeah, yeah he yeah. thinks about yeah. the murder as a narrative, yeah. and so therefore the way he draws the serial killer is is a really good writer. Y- y- yes, and the and. Also, I guess what's frightening about that is that it's arguing a high degree of intelligence. Mm. And we normally, well, we want to, don't we? We want to associate intelligence with with ethically pure people and decent people. You'd like to think that intelligence is brought to bear on for good ends. But obviously this is a perversion of intelligence as much as anything else, Mm. this this mentality. But in a sense, he's not. He's not really a serial killer because my understanding of serial killers is that they are quite random crimes. It, mm. There might be a sexual motivation behind it. Yeah. And I know uh, one of them always preyed on the same, a woman who looked certain, the same. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. This is, this is, these are motivated actually, this crimes. Are, these are motivated, these mm. are, this is not, and this is not, the, as much as the, the, the deaths are quite lurid, it's not for the pleasure of the deaths. It's for the pleasure of knocking out people out of the way who disagree with him and who won't let him do what he wants to do with the water rights. Yeah, so these are, I think, I mean, he's a serial killer in the sense that, you know, he plots and plans. Yes, there's a series of them. And there's a series, you know, there's yeah. a series of them. But, yeah. yeah, he's different from a serial killer as we understand it today because yes. it is a motive, like yes. a real motivation. Like yes. A, and he's also really... Um, not close to the scene of the crime. Like, it's not yes. like he stabs them or strangles them. See, They're all crimes that thing. he's removed from. Yes, it takes that voyeuristic nastiness away from it because he sets them up and then he lets it ro- roll on. Without, yeah, he's and not, he's not even there. That's a fascinating point. He's not there. He doesn't actually see it. So it's not the pleasure of watching the death. Yeah. It's just knowing. It's almost godlike, isn't it? He knows he's engineered a certain set, set, set of circumstances and then those circumstances will unfold. He he clicks it like a little mechanical device. He clicks it in motion, mm, and then he can just and go then away. He just goes away, and mm. he can get his his um, um, alibi and all that. So, well, I suppose that's the again that what make that's what makes the, the drowning so interesting because presumably he is closer yeah. to that because he's got yes. it. If he does drown her, yes. I read it as he did drown her, but obviously there is still an open question. Yeah, an open question. Um, Mm-hmm. He's got a pusher. He would have had to have actually touched or, or her. Or held her down. And that makes it different to the other crimes. There's yeah. a, because, as you point out, there's a, there's a distance, and that makes the killing of, of the woman a different one. He would actually have to hold her under the water. God, this is gruesome stuff. And and then in t- the horrible thing about her hair. But the isn't Ophelia that so gendered? Is, 
Yes, it like, is. Like, this is, this is like it a is. woman's murder because it's her hair. And it's almost like... And a, he touches. Can, yeah. yeah. But there's also like a sense, you know how people used to, mm. in the 19th century, get all, you know, really upset about women's big crinolines because they yeah. thought that, you know, if you stand too close to the, the fire, they're going to go up in flames. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. it, it, it's your vanity that's leading you yeah. to put yourself in dangerous yeah. situations. Yeah. It's almost like that. The like, you're, you, because you're, yeah. you're vain about your long, beautiful hair, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's actually been the thing yeah. that's killed you. It becomes a yeah. kill you and that's what the killer says at the end he says it's um it's god's will it's the working yeah. out of divine, divine justice. yeah like a divine credit. and he becomes this kind of cracked kind of evangelical preacher figure mm. um yeah it's um it, it's it's sort of i don't know it's it, just listening to what we're saying about this you, you, you think well why why are we reading but do we well i think that look i mean i What's like the matter with us Stephanie? well you know. i just i don't think well first of all it's not just us true crime and crime <laughs> crime fiction and true crime as mm. as interconnected genres are very very popular right and they've always yeah. been very very popular but i think yeah. there is a kind of like fascination with yeah. knowing about all of this stuff in a safe yeah. way like here we are in a I safe studio so. yeah. at work yeah. Yeah. um no rattlesnakes no rattlesnakes Hopefully, um, what's in that bag? Yeah, no, I <laughs> have not. I have not. I didn't. Yeah, I it. have not smuggled a rattlesnake into the studio. But um, you know, it's it's a safe way of thinking about all of this yeah. darkness. Yeah, of, but there is a dark side to yeah. it as well because yeah. it's that fantasy of absolute power, and that yeah. gets us back to the gothic villain and all kinds of anti-heroes, and and it's a Hannibal Lecter. Um, figure mm. someone who is so demonically clever it's like it's 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 the um you know the, the devil you know it, it, it's the cleverness of the devil and it's that absolute power to do harm um i suppose it's like road rage or something i i i think it's probably naive to say that there isn't something in it all of us that would if we were pushed too far, that we could somehow express mm. violence or want to take vengeance, something happens to us that we think is unjust. It doesn't take much, does it, to push that that reaction in, mm. into a, what we think is a, a, as an abnormal reaction. Yeah, and I think we've always been fascinated by the idea of the really clever criminal that doesn't yes. get caught. I mean, you know, yes. this is why we're still... How literary is that? We're still talking about yeah. Jack the Ripper. Yes, exactly. You know, like yeah. we're still interested yeah. in figuring, and yeah. I mean... Yeah. It should be quite clear by now that we're never going to know who Jack the Ripper was no, because we no. just don't have any way of knowing. No, there's no forensics. <laughs> no, exactly. And But people still, you know, there's probably a new book published every year oh, about, yeah. you know, figuring yeah. out who Jack yeah. the Ripper is. And somebody who's say some member of the royal, royal family, family or, yeah. you know, somebody who's in yeah. in Australia or somebody who was here, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, we love that idea of the criminal who's too clever to get caught. Also, isn't there a parallel too? Um, if you if you take it out of this rather unsettling territory of what we are as human beings, yeah, which is that we're a very nasty species. I don't think we can get away from that. But also that idea, it, and this comes out in that wonderful film No Country for Old Men, mm. where the killer is like a force of fate. He makes mm. people t toss the coin. And, mm. and heads I kill you, tails you live. You know, mm. it's it, and he becomes this figure of death and fate. And I think part of, uh, if you want a slightly nicer reading of our fascination of these killers, is that they personify fate and chance. 
because not all all of us are going to get into our car and find it full of rattlesnakes. I hope. But, but <laughs> um, you know, life is a dangerous thing, even very ordinary lives. You know, yeah, you, that's you, right. you you yeah. you walk into your kitchen. You know, you you get into your car. It, it, life is full of dangerous things that we negotiate every day of our lives. And that idea of fate, I think, is is very much picked up in this story with the and poppins. Chance. Yeah, yes, it's fate and chance. So. Partly I think these figures are so fascinating because they put in a human form this absolutely cold-blooded chance. Fate just wanders Mm. around and if you're on the wrong side of it, you're dead and if you're on the right side, you're alive. Well, here you know that your fate is to die as soon as you get a coffin and, and you you know, it doesn't really matter what proportions that you take. And even if you know, say, in this story, it becomes clear after, you know, Mm. the first two Mm. um, that... Once you get the coffin, that's it. That's it. There's no way. Yes, you're not going to get out of it, are you? Yeah, it doesn't really mm. matter. Like, mm. you know, you could be hypervigilant about, you know, your safety and you can be, um, you know, aware that somebody's after you, but it still happens anyway. And it also has that element that I love in the Gothic that things are so bad because it's not just because of individual villainy and individual nasty evil individuals but things are so bad because the social structures the institutions that are put in place to control that human propensity endless capacity for evil those things fail Mm. and i think that's why jake pepper is an interesting character he he represents is it, is he FBI? I can't remember. He he's a no, he's, he's he's brought in from outside. He's some oh he may be he, sorry. I think yeah, he's yeah, the yeah. second order. It's yeah. not in the hands of the local police. He's is that, that classic situation where the the, the higher ups, ups come yeah. in and and he has to keep sort of he has to keep justifying his presence when he cannot find the evidence. So all the all the mechanisms that you would think would be reliably in place to protect the citizenry from crime, they, they don't work. That's yeah. a very gothic idea, mm. that evil flourishes when the forces against it that should work, they simply don't. Mm. And that's where, where I find you know the politics of the gothic so interesting. The gender politics of it are, are a bit problematic. I mm. mean, Jake is lovely. I, I really love Jake until he announces that he never reads women writers. And yes. I thought, oh, you bastard, you deserve to die. Yeah. After that, you're like, no, sorry. <laughs> yeah, I didn't care what happened to yeah, me yeah, after yeah. that. Yeah, and he, so he's, he's very, <laughs> the relationship that he has is, is um, yeah. very interesting in that she's a very kind of, um, yeah. the way that she's represented is, is kind of. Yes, and the two sisters, the rivalry between the two the sisters. sisters. Yes. Um, that that's interesting. You know, there, there's a whole lot of stuff that I, you know, I keep you know that that feeling you get when you really loved something and found it very powerful, and then you come back to it after a certain time, and you've done more thinking about lots of things, and you're much more, you ask different questions, yeah. and it becomes a different story oh, yeah, yeah. for you. So I wasn't just thinking about it this time. I still think. You know, we need it on our detectives and crime yes, fiction. Yes, we definitely do. But I, I, I have a lot more problems with it than I had when I first, that first dazzling reading of it and thinking, oh, hell, you know. It's like the movie Duel, you know. Yeah. You watch it and you think, this is just so stupendously, amazingly good, you know, how. And it's mythic and it's all these amazing things. But then you come back and, and you see, I mean, you were talking about the, the quite the problematic character of the narrator. Mm. So this. So it's actually a different kind of pleasure in the story. You can come back and look at it 
from a technical point of view. Yeah. How he's producing the effects he is and how he relies on the reader not asking certain questions. And yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's interesting because I my first impulse coming from like a, a, a real interest in true crime narratives, my first interest in reading it was very much like, Oh, I'm going to read about a murder and what really happened, and I'm going to I'm going to come to it almost like a really long form piece of journalism, almost um, like a really impressive long form piece of journalism. Um, so I was kind of caught up in the the facts or the mm. the the crime, you know, figuring out who the murderer was and all of that mm. kind of um, the what questions, I suppose. Mm. Um, and then I had to go back and reread it again with a more kind of um, literary hat on because yeah. I think it it's partly as a result of him presenting it as nonfiction, but also as I, as as you were saying, there is a complexity to the way it's constructed that I think you have to kind of go back and think about really closely in order to see what he's doing because I think you just you read it and kind of take it as face value at face value yeah. the first time, yeah. but when you come back here, if you think about oh, I don't really like the way he's representing women characters. Mm. Um, there is this kind of casual misogyny that goes on um, throughout the entire oh, yeah. thing, and you're thinking, yeah. you know, is this a reflection of Capote's... Yeah, popular casual misogyny. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This, this, yeah. Is this a reflection of Capote, or is he yeah. reflecting the values of the time? You know, yeah. like, what yeah. is happening here? Yeah. Um, and then you think, and when you start to think about it a bit, you know, slow down and think about it a bit more carefully, you think about the, the luridness of the crimes and the way they're constructed to be, as you say, biblical... Um, and it, it starts to look more like fiction, which it obviously is. Um, so I think it's the kind of story that it really pays to come back to because it's not yes. immediately apparent yes. what it's doing unless you've kind of digested the whole thing and yes. revisited it. And and also to the question of the past because yes. you get that, that, that kind of shadow narrative where once the narrator meets the killer and realizes that he thinks, well, he thinks he's, he knows him, he thinks he's met him before, then the whole setup become. If you look at it from the point of view of the narrator, he brings it back to the narrator and away from Jake Pepper, the detective, into a way of engineering a, a confrontation with of the narrator with his past and aspects mm. of his past. And that baptism scene mm, and, yeah. and, and all that. So, and that again and is that completely literary. It, well, yes, and that takes it into a, just another, another, uh, another kind of writing, doesn't it? Mm. Another kind of story. Reminds me a bit of True Detective. I think yeah. the, the first True Detective. Yeah. I, did, I didn't watch any. Terrible stand the rest of them. <laughs> yeah. But the first one has, and and it has that that those strange images and the strange death. And, and, yeah. and we end up with the Minotaur and the maze and yeah, it's like stagings stuff. of mm. the murders and things. Yes, yeah. the theatricality. We're back to Gothic, aren't yeah. we? The theatricality of the Gothic. Yeah, nobody just dies in an ordinary way. You can't do that. The Gothic. It has. It has to have this theatre, the theatre of death. Well, I mean, you know, thinking about camp and the Gothic, mm. like you know, mm. Truman Capote is very camp oh, in his kind of presentation yeah. of himself, yeah. and yeah. you know, those the yeah. way he kind of. Constructed himself as a celebrity. Yes, with those black and white walls, and, and yeah. yes, yes, that's the only thing yeah. that where I've ever thought, um, God, I wish I was there. His black and white walls. Oh my God, I'd forgotten those. Yeah, and all those famous nineteen seventies celebrities who used to turn yeah up. turn up decked out in those yes, black and white outfits. Yes, and, yeah. celebrities were quite interesting. <laughs> yeah, I know. 
they're not so interesting. Well, some of them are very interesting, but <laughs> but they sort of had a certain certain glamour. I mean, he has a certain it. glamour too, yeah, doesn't he? Yeah. yeah, yes, he does. He does. Well, and I was reading when I was reading up on like the the, the true history of this of this murder case. I was reading that um, this is kind of one of the last pieces of work that he did. Yes, um, yes, that's he, right. Yeah, before he died, and then he wrote answered prayers, the unfinished one. Yeah. And everybody just got so angry with him yeah. because he put all the people, all he put all his friends, friends, friends in it. And they recognised themselves. they recognised themselves. Oh, yeah. Dear. And he got the cold shoulder. Mm. And he got excluded from the world that he had to be a part of to keep being a celebrity exactly. writer kind of yeah. thing. There was a kind of biblical... Well, and apparently he was really upset that he didn't win the Pulitzer for... Um, for in cold blood, oh, was he? and Norman Mailer won it instead, and he was oh. really upset. And I think that oh. fed into writing this because he wanted to like have another stab at the true crime oh. thing, um, so to speak. Um, so yeah, yeah, I think that I think he was trying to recreate a bit of of the of the in cold blood magic with this. Yes. Um, yes. Because of he was really you know I love that like. Somebody who will openly say, well, actually, I was really upset that I didn't win the Pulitzer, you know. <laughs> Most people take the high Most people would say, oh, I, I never even anyway. considered winning the Pulitzer. But <laughs> he's me? like, no, <laughs> no, I should have won the Pulitzer. It is an outrage that I didn't. It is an injustice oh, of the that. ages, you know. <laughs> I, I reckon I'd, I'd like yeah. to hang out with him. Yeah. I think he'd be very painful, but I think it'd yes. be a lot of fun. Yes, yes, I, th- I think so. Maybe uh, maybe one dinner, that would be enough. Right? That would be enough, yeah. wouldn't it? Yeah. Yes. After yes. that, we he'd just, probably get a bit Yeah, yeah he may get a bit yeah. Yeah. And And he may end up killing us, you know. Yeah. We, we don't know. Well, I mean, he has the imagination that... He does. Who would have thought to, to stage a murder with jacked up, <laughs> amphetamined up yes, rattlesnakes? Really... Where does that come from? Where Exactly. Well, if it came out of the recesses of his tiny little mind, that, I know. that's a bit worrying. I know. And there were nine of them, too. I, I mean, not just one. I would have thought one. One would do. driven rattlesnake. I know. Or would even one enough. each, two. One for each victim. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. nine of them, that seems yeah. excessive. Nine. Is there something about nine? The nine muses? I, yeah, I don't possibly. Know. Well, if we go with that line of, like, the serial killer is a really good plotter, yeah. then maybe he yeah. is being inspired by... Muses of, of uh, poetry. Uh, of murder. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> poetry Is there and murder. A muse for murder. Probably not. No, I don't think so. Um, I think we have completely we have, run out of time, Lee. Yes. Um, okay. As usual, this has been a very lovely and engaging conversation. Well, thank you for me too. I love these, these conversations. We're talking, sitting down for nearly an hour and talking about novels. I mean, really, you know, we are, we're spoiled, aren't we? I know. We? We believe yeah. we get paid for this. Yeah. Shh. Oh. Whoops. <laughs> Maybe not for much longer. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Lee. Thanks, Steph. Um, this has been another episode of From the Lighthouse. If you could please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, and that would be extremely helpful. Um, and any comments or feedback, please send our way at fromthelighthouse.org. Thanks. Bye.